Welcome back to General Education. My name is Eduardo Campo, and I am the podcast editor for the Daily Trojan for the fall 2020 semester. Today, I am glad to have on Dr. Sarah Van Orman, Chief Health Officer for USC Student Health, on our very first episode. As we continue to weather through the COVID-19 pandemic, we're going to be talking about how school reopening will look like in the midst of all this. Dr. Sarah Van Orman, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today. Pleasure to be with you. Yeah, so I guess I just want to start off with like a really broad question. And just given all the uncertainty with reopening, what is campus going to look like on the first day when uh, students arrive on campus, off-campus housing and all that? What will that look like? Yeah, I think for many students, it's going to look really different. And um, when we typically think of the beginning of the school year, we think of, you know, kind of the the bustle of people unloading cars, driving up, people's parents dropping them off in the residence halls, the neighborhood full of people, um, the start of you know games, people out in groups socializing, um, and there's nothing really more exciting than the first few weeks on on, on campus. Um, unfortunately, this year, um, because of the continuing impact of COVID-19. Um, many of the things that really define a campus, which is people coming together to learn and study and play, um, are not safe right now. Um, and so it's going to feel, um, and I'm on campus right now, and it's a very quiet place. Um, and I think it's going to feel really different for the students that are here physically. Yeah, just I know that you're like one of the main people like in charge of uh, kind of working in the reopening with for USC and all that. So what exactly goes into that process of deciding the guidelines? How much in contact are you with health officials from California and all that? What exactly does it look like? Yeah, so most everything we do here is really con uh, constrained and guided um, by guidance from public health, both the California Department of Public Health, as well as the Los Angeles Department of Public Health. We also, and I in my role, you know, consult with um, our local infectious disease and epidemiology experts um, to kind of also decide the USC specific things. The guidance from the Los Angeles Department of Public Health and California Department of Public Health though, are really kind of the legally binding um, guidance. Um, and so what we can do and, and what we can permit is really dependent upon what they let us do. Um, now that's a really, you know, in some ways it may feel like it's constricting, but we also know that they really are looking at the big picture. Um, they're looking at what does transmission look like? Um, what do cases look like? Hospitalizations, intensive care unit admissions look like? Um, when they make the decision to allow any industry or any business to really to reopen. One of the challenges that we know about institutions of higher education, um, different but similar to K-12 schools, is it's increasing density, it's bringing people together. And that's a very high risk environment when we have a significant community transmission of COVID-19. So even mm -hmm. if people do everything right, um, when we're in a situation um, like we are in now, anything that brings people together is risky and is dangerous. Yeah. And just going off with that, I know that with Project Restart um, earlier, like a month ago, it looked like 
the plan was and that it was going to be a hybrid of online classes with people actually being on campus. But recently we got an email from one of the provosts uh, last week that it looks like since we haven't gotten approval from state officials, local officials, um, classes will still be fully online. So just that as cases continue to rise, do you think there's going to be a safe way for students to return in any form in person or with uh, hybrid classes? What could that look like? Yeah, so, you know, when we were doing a lot of the planning in June, May and June, we really were planning on students coming back or coming back in a hybrid mode. What, what happened in LA um, and a lot of California and honestly, a lot of the US was throughout the months of June and early July, was really, you know, kind of you know, huge, massive surges in all the indicators we look for, cases, hospitalizations, ICU admissions, deaths. Um, and so as the month of June and July progressed, um, it became increasingly clear that um, the numbers were still much too high uh, for the state and local officials to allow um, in-person instruction. So as, where we are right now is that actually the state of the California actually released their reopening guidelines for higher education actually just on Friday. So we've only had them for a couple of days. Within the, so the way it, it works, it, it's sort of complicated. The, the state of California has to say, okay, as a state, we can move forward with this particular activity, whether that's colleges or restaurants or whatever it is. But when the state does that, they often say, um, this is the general you know, kind of guidelines for the entire state, but then counties have to meet certain criteria in order to allow it to happen in that county. Um, and so if a, a particular county still has significantly high rates of infection, then they may not permit the county to allow that. And the California institutions of higher education guidelines really had the same structure where they say, these are the guidelines when you do. And in order to allow um, in particular in-person instruction to come back, um, there are certain indicators the county has to be at in terms of um, the number of cases. Um, or, and in this case, it was to be off the, what we, they call the state watch list for three days. LA, LA has not been off the state watch list um, and is, remains on it. And so now it's a matter of saying, you know, do we get off the state watch list so that we can allow in-person instruction? And then, um, then the second layer is the, the county then has to be let us, has, the state has to let the county let us come back. And then the county has to sort of say, okay, based on our guidelines, you can also resume in-person instruction. So right now, we're not. Well, there is no clearance from the county to allow kind of in-person instruction or to allow people to move back into the residence halls. Actually, so the announcement last week was really when we realized that we were not going to get to that point um, where we were going to, you know, by, certainly by this week when students were scheduled to move back into residence halls or next week when classes were supposed to start that neither the state nor the county were gonna give us permission to do that. Um, and we weren't just, we just weren't ready. Now, we don't know, um, and I think we're all um, kind of watching and seeing, uh, um, you know, if conditions improve locally um, and there is, um, you know, there is um, some, you know, guidance that, you know, from state and county that says certain new things are going to be permitted. We are looking at what 
what might be those things that are allowed to come back in person. Um, you know, the, the high priority things like, you know, kind of, you know, uh, things where people need to get in to use equipment or kind of laboratory based things. Those are the things that we certainly would be prioritizing. A uh, couple things as we make that decisions. One is we want to make sure that we can fully support a robust experience for students um, even that have not come back to LA. That's really important that we don't disadvantage mm -hmm. people. Um, and you know, I know our folks have done a lot of work, like you know, mailing people lab kits and you know, a lot of a lot of things to kind of make sure that the the courses are really really robust, even if people aren't here. Um, um, so that's that's one part of it. And then even if some more activities are permitted this fall, um, I think it's still going to look really different. So for example, um, even when we re what what the county says reopen, um, the reopening guidelines have really strict kind of provisions. So they say, you know, classes have to be very limited. Um, they have to be you know six feet apart. We can't, for example, permit any events. Um, so mm -hmm. At no point will be will we allowed to have you know events and events are anything from a small gathering to a large gathering. As you mentioned, just like the community, like there's going to be a limited in activities and all that. Um, we Daily Trojan did an article about a week or two ago about uh, the row and how there was at least 40 cases of COVID-19. So, and this is going to be probably another reoccurring issue as people are starting to move in off campus, maybe hanging out with friends and all that. What is USC going to be trying to do to mitigate the spread of coronavirus, not just like within the lecture halls and all that, but around housing in general also? Yeah, you know, it's a really good point. And, and, and we've thought a lot about it. Um, and, you know, the, the first thing I would say is that, you know, what people are doing, and, and it was interesting with the row, um, you know, I think that from the outside, uh, there was a perception that people were having, you know, huge, massive parties on the row. Um, and that actually wasn't the case. It was, it was, um, it was small events, you know, like, oh, let's have 15 or 20 people for a barbecue. Um, you know, and, and that seems, you know, it's really natural kind of sense to want to do that, or even let's have, uh, we had another outbreak of a group of students that were actually studying together, um, you know, and, and having a meal. Um, so some of these things that we would normally just do um, are unfortunately right now the sources of these, of these outbreaks. So I think the first thing I'm really relying on students to do is just to, we're trying to really educate students that, um, you know, and where we are right now is you, you really aren't supposed to be socializing or coming within six feet of people, um, of anyone who doesn't live in your house. Um, and that's gonna be really different for students. Um, we, we are trying hard with education um, to let students know that. We are letting students know that if, you know, un unfortunately, if, if we do find out about it, um, you know, they might, they would be subject to, you know, kind of actions from the university, losing their access, um, student discipline code. Um, we don't, uh, student orgs might lose their status. Um, we don't want to do that. Um, but interestingly, in the California Department of Public Health actually specifically tells us that as a university, we're actually, we're actually, we need to do those things. The other thing I think is important for students to know is that um, these are actually legal requirements. So there's what we might do, 
Um, but also we know many communities are starting to find people. We've heard in LA about them shutting off the water and power to places where there are parties. So, um, you know, the, the state and the county are, are, are really serious about this. Um, so it, it's not just a kind of a, a, you know, something the university wants you to do. It's actually, it's actually the law. Um, and then finally, um, I think for students to understand that, you know, they need to do it because of health. Um, we know that young adults with asymptomatic infection are actually probably the biggest source of community spread right now. Um, they infect um, their families. They infect the, the people that they're coming in contact with um, because they don't necessarily show infections. Um, so, you know, part of it is just, what 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 you're doing as a student to help protect the community yeah and just going off on that um just since students are going to be moving back in and um with the implementation of the contract tracing app how reliable do you think that app will be in having accurate information about uh the whereabouts of students and their health status and all that as as the school year continues so the, the Trojan check doesn't tell us where you are. Um, and, you know, and for many reasons, for privacy reasons, you know, there's a lot in the media about these sort of um, contact tracing apps when this all started. And I think what's happened is actually um, in the US in particular, they have not been adopted because of concerns about privacy. Um, because the, the ultimate issue with the contact tracing app is I have to have the app on and you have to have the app on so that we can, we know we're in contact. So most contact tracing now is done the old fashioned way, which is we sort of say in the 48 hours before your symptom onset, where were, where were you? Who did you have contact with? How close was that contact? Um, and then we find those people and let them know. Um, it is really important uh, for that reason. And, and what's interesting is we found we've had a lot of, um, had a lot of, for example, employees who have contracted it and been at work. Um, we've had um, students, and when people are not in close contact, meaning they've kept, you know, a good physical distance, they've worn facial coverings, we see very few cases of secondary transmission. Um, so in spite of, you know, kind of maybe questions about does this work, um, you know, theoretical concerns about how it could be spread, you know, physical distancing and facial coverings really do protect, protect the vast majority of infections. But we also know this virus is very transmissible. And when we see people sitting around in a group, particularly eating together, we see 50, 60% of the people in the room infected. How often will students be tested? And is it different for students that are living on campus, even though probably not on campus because it's not allowed yet? But for those around the community, how, how will testing look like? So testing is available first and foremost for people with symptoms of exposures. And that's the most important kind of testing is that if someone has symptoms, we want them to come in right away and get tested. If someone is exposed, we wanna, you know, obviously they need to quarantine, but we want them to come in right away and get tested because that's really the, the cornerstone of contact tracing, right? The sooner we can find the case, um, the, the sooner we can kind of help that person get isolated and quarantined. Um, and get and we have testing um, that we want people to call us. They can. Um, we have testing. We have a turnaround of less than 24 hours. Um, we'll test everybody. We also have the pop testing, the color testing for students living in the dorms. We're recommending that people test uh, once a week. 
Um, and for students, as we bring students back, um, we're also gonna be testing our employees that are on campus. And then students, um, we know if we bring back certain activities where students are in small groups, we're gonna be testing them as well. For other students, we're asking that they get tested right when they come back. Um, and we're not, and we will be sort of randomly selecting people for testing um, and so that we can find pockets um, and then um, identify those pockets and potentially put interventions in. A word of caution about testing, you know, I really advise people, you know, testing misses 20 to 30% of infections because they might be in that pre-symptomatic or asymptomatic phase. You can also get tested and then pick it up on your way out of the testing site. So I really, I really advise people a test is not, a test is a test. It does not mean you don't have COVID-19. So sometimes you hear people like, I'm gonna get tested and then all my friends are gonna get tested and we're all clear. Um, and it, it just doesn't work that way. Particularly, I think at USC, um, we know some universities have put in really aggressive testing programs and are really trying to think about, well, let's bubble our students. Um, and I think there might be some value in that in universities mm -hmm. where let's say you have some, there are some universities where most all undergraduates live on campus. Um, you know, mm -hmm. where it's a small community where students are truly uh, only on campus. You know, they, they live in the dorms, they eat in the dorms, they, they don't leave the community. That's really not true for USC. Um, even during a normal year, the vast majority of our students really live in the community. So a testing bubble uh, doesn't really work for USC students. With testing, once a student or a faculty member does test positive, what do we do? Aside from the mand mandated quarantine and all that, what else can or is the university providing for them? Yeah, so we have a really um, robust program we've been developing. We want to make sure that we do really support people. So we have housing available. Uh, right now, the entire USC hotel is dedicated to quarantine and isolation housing. Um, isolation is when someone's sick. Quarantine is when somebody's exposed. Um, so, you know, many times people can quarantine or isolate in, at home. You know, they have an apartment. You know, maybe they just share a home with their family. So certainly a lot of people don't use that. But any individual who is not able to safely isolate or quarantine at home, we have space for them in the hotel. Um, we provide them food. Um, someone from student health calls and checks on them every day. Uh, so we've actually isolated and quarantined hundreds of people since March in the hotel. In terms of testing and just the coronavirus pandemic, um, I don't want to just focus it on USC, but what other measures are being taking place to help protect and test um, the South LA community as a whole, like which surrounds USC? What's What are measures that are being done there? Is there going to be like uh, community testing events or other resources available? Uh, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, so unfortunately uh, in Los Angeles, and Los Angeles is better than a lot of places, um, but in the entire United States, you know, we're probably doing a tenth of the testing we need to be doing. Um, and we know that um, we are, we know there's a lot of labs who are building testing capacity right now. There is a lot of testing capacity, you know, sort of in essence coming online but we don't have enough testing right now. In LA in early July, we made a switch from, for a while in June, we were testing everybody. And in early July that we had to test, we had to switch to testing and not, not talking USC, but the community. 
the test to just testing people that were priority, you know, meaning that they were either sick or they were working um, as a first responder or healthcare provider um, because of a shortage of tests. The other problem we're having in the US right now is because of the backlog of testing, several of the big commercial testing labs are having delays of results in five, you know, five, six days for results to come back. And from the perspective of contact tracing and infection control, that's practically worthless. You know, it, it, it doesn't actually, it, I don't know, it, you know, by that point, uh, certainly we do it, um, but it doesn't let us catch and contain. So I do think that there is a, um, we, brought, we brought in this color group to kind of help with testing and for our employees and our students. Um, but there's a huge need for, you know, testing in, in this country. Um, you, know, you know, when we look at the countries who've been effective, um, they test everybody all the time. And it's quick and it's easy and people don't have to worry about their insurance and they don't have to worry about where to go get tested. They just test. And we're a really long way away from that. Until we get to that point, our only strategies are actually the continued physical distancing, um, facial coverings, um, and preventing people from gathering together in congregate settings. Yeah. And just another question I have on that, just now that testing compared to like in March when uh, school was uh, kind of shut down essentially and all that. Uh, we have more testing now, but everything happens so quick for students with like the process of moving now. There was so much uncertainty. What did you learn from that initial experience and how would you apply it in the event that once students do come in in the fall again, how do we how do we deal with another spike and just like how students have to manage all that? Yeah, so it's been interesting. Um, I, I, you know, I've, I've worked in um, college um health leadership for a long time. I've done college public health for a long time, um, but it, it's been a fascinating six months. As I always tell it, well, it's like my first pandemic. Um, uh, it's, um, you know, um, it, one, one, I think you're right, was how quickly it happened in March um, and how quickly we saw cases spike. Um, I think the other thing that's interesting is what we saw in June and July, both in the county as well as, you know, the outbreak on in the Greek community. I think we've all, many of us in this field have been very surprised by how quickly um, the, we, we see massive spikes um, because of how, just how transmissible this virus is. Uh, it's, it's, been, it's been really surprising how we go from zero to nothing, um, in, in, I mean, from nothing to like huge numbers quickly. So I think the thing for me is is I, I think as much as I want people to be back and, and I want housing to reopen and I want us to gather together, um, I think we need to be really cautious about whatever we bring back. Um, and we have to do it really slowly because you know the it could spike so quickly. Um, and you know if and we could go from having a few people infected to hundreds and, and there's no way we can support hundreds of you know hundreds of thousands of people infected. So unfortunately, I think that means being really cautious about how and when students come back in any setting, um, that's, that's what we call congregate, um, is we have to be really, really cautious and prudent. And that's why we're advising most people not to come back. Um, I have two more questions for you. And I know you have a lot on your plate just with everything changing on a daily basis, but 
I kind of just want to kind of look forward and with the vaccine probably not being available until the beginning of 2021 as it looks like has there already been any talks as to the planning of spring semester in terms of like safety safety precautions and the in-person lifestyle there yeah no it's a good point and i think we're starting to think about it um you know i think it's it's tough right because so much of this um you know i i uh, I, I would not have ever imagined we were here um you know four months ago um and so imagining what four months from now looks like is is difficult um, but i do think we are thinking about spring semester a couple things i think to be aware of one is we're considering, you know, what does it look like to distribute vaccine, um, that, which is a massive undertaking if we need to do that. Um, I think the other thing we're worried about um, and looking at for spring semester is influenza. So, you know, influenza typically peaks in anywhere between December and February. And um, influenza causes cough and fever and shortness of breath and body aches, which are completely mimic COVID-19. So we're, people are very worried about influenza and how do we distinguish it? So really, we're gearing really up for um, influenza vaccination, also um, looking at rapid testing for influenza. Um, and then even maybe thinking about, do we delay the start of spring semester? So we're, we're a little bit out of the influenza season when people come back uh, versus coming back in January, which is sort of peak influenza. So I think that's, that's definitely something we're thinking about for spring. Um, and then, you know, if our country does a good job with, with, with testing and uh, some of the other physical distancing measures and we can get put community incidents down um, like you've seen in some countries, then you know when it, when the when the rates are are low, then it it's much easier to test and contact trace and and quarantine and isolate. You know when you have little little tiny outbreaks. Um, so that's the challenge with how do we get down to a point where we can we can control it through testing and and what we call containment. Um, but when there's this much disease, containment is just impossible so what you have to do is just okay everybody stay home um, it, it, you know until you can start to break those chains of transmission uh, thank you so much and now just for my last question i kind of just want to get a little bit more personal and just there's so much that's been changing with the pandemic and it seems like everything is changing on a day-by-day -day basis how have you been how have you been trying to remain calm like maintain your stress levels just with trying to manage so much in terms of USC reopening and all of that? Yeah, no, thank you for asking that question. It's been really interesting. I, I, I you know, as I said, I've been, I've been doing this kind of work for almost 20 years now. Um, and I, I tell people it's a combination of like um, a, a dream because, you know, in some ways it, it's, it's, it's interesting, right? It's intellectually challenging. Um, and, you know, you know, it, it feels very important it matters, right? Um, and then, and I, I've wrote, I've been writing pandemic plans for universities for 15 years, um, and a nightmare, um, and a nightmare because you see the 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 individual, the the financial havoc it wrecks on individuals and our community. You see, you know, the failures of our national public health system and and the the what it the, the death 
you know, let's just be real that it's caused. Um, you see the, um, and, it, and it's, ter it's scary personally to think that I'm making decisions that may or may not affect people's health. Um, so, you know, I, I, it's, it's both of those feelings at the same time. Um, you know, so, you know, we have a really, uh, amazing team here, I think at, um, at the university, um, an amazing team at student health. Um, they've been working, people here have been working seven days a week for months, literally, um, doing, you know, setting up all these testing programs, doing contact tracing. Um, there was a couple weeks in the beginning of July where people were, you know, working, every, you know, seven days a week for weeks just with all the cases we were seeing, trying to control the outbreak. So it's inspiring to see the team um, and the way people have really stepped up um, to, to, to take, care of, uh, take care of people. So I, I really rely on our team here um, and the team at the university. It really mm -hmm. is really, I think, trying to balance you know, how do we support students? How do we help people, you know, get their education, take care of themselves emotionally, um, you know, personally, um, but also uh, make it safe. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for all the work that you're doing, Dr. Van Orman. And thank you for joining me on the first episode of General Education. It was a great, it was a great time having you on today. It was, it was really a pleasure. Take good care and, and uh, stay safe. Uh, wear, your, wear your facial covering, wash your hands, stay home. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. Well, that's it for this week's episode of General Education. If you want more coronavirus coverage, along with stories on how USC students are dealing with the pandemic and time of racial reckoning, check out our orientation issue to kick off the new school year. You can find our online issue at dailytrojan.com. Make sure to also check out our sports podcast, Talking Troy, and our arts and entertainment podcast, Rhythm and News. Thank you so much for listening.